0: Welcome to the Phineas Club, my name is Patrick Beja, I'm in Finland, I'm usually uh, talking about stuff that happened in France, because that's where I'm from. It is September 2021, the day after my birthday, so thanks everyone for the well wishes, and uh, it's episode number 100, 172. As I was mentioning, we in this show we talk about stuff that's been happening around the world, and we get people from different countries to tell us how they've uh, heard about the news, and how it's been reported on, meaning hopefully by the end of the show, we get kind of uh, different takes on uh, news items and uh, people who share with us their different backgrounds, cultures and uh, opinions on things. And I'm very glad to be welcoming back to the show two fantastic guests. First, all the way from Mexico. Uh, What time is it for you, Dan?
1: Must be early. It's not that early, it's just seven in the morning, so it's a nice time. That's, oh, that's fine. I, I felt a bit bad because
0: I was, you know, asking you to wake up very early for the show. But seven is acceptable, I, f- I think, mostly. I still feel bad and, and, and thankful that you actually
1: did wake up. But it's not four. Exactly. No, and I'm thankful for the for the invitation, Patrick. It's it's always a pleasure, even if I have to get uh, away earlier. Today it was really easy, so thanks. (laughs) Thank you for being on. Um, We also have Irina, who's
0: joining us uh, for the second time from Prague, but she's originally from uh, Russia. Welcome back to the show, Irina.
2: Oh, thank you for inviting, Patrick.
0: It's a pleasure. (laughs) I'm very glad to have you on. You know what? We're going to jump in straight into the the news today. Um, No chit-chat, no uh, little idle talk, uh, because... I I really want to talk about what's been happening in Russia with the latest uh, elections. And uh, you're from there, and I suspect you are, uh, uh, you know, you're interested in in that. But um, my background is mostly in in tech and gaming and that kind of thing. So being from Finland or being in Finland, I guess, um, we often talk about what's happening with Russia because the the next door neighbor is uh, sometimes a worrisome one. But in this case, I I mostly heard about it from um, the smart voting app that uh, the Navalny campaign uh, was putting together or had put together in the previous election even. That was quite effective and that was banned from the app stores and the bots that would relay that information, which we'll talk about in a second, We're all banned by the, the Russian government. And I'm guessing that's part of the whole narrative around the, the election and the Putin government now. Um, can you tell us about that uh, those elections and how it's been going?
2: Well, uh, Patrick, frankly, I don't know why they actually call these elections, because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, You talked uh, that uh, they banned the app, uh, but uh, this was actually a minor uh, step to ensure their control of uh, the uh, new parliament, the new uh, state Duma of Russian Federation. Uh, The major steps were before they actually banned the app. The major steps was a huge campaign of repressions, of uh, opposition, of any sort of opposition except for probably communists and the uh, party, which is kind of a little bit liberal compared to uh, the rest in power. Uh, but uh, uh, they also created uh, a new uh, party, new people, that uh, uh, is largely seen as the pro-government uh, party as well, that actually became the fifth party uh, in the uh, next parliament. Uh, so uh, the scale of repressions that uh, went on through the summer, in Russia is unprecedented. All the major candidates, liberal, democratic candidates, who uh, could have yet at least a little bit of vote uh, from the ruling United Russia Party uh, were either uh, sent through the court system Uh, that uh, automatically blocked uh, their ability to run uh, for uh, Duma seat, uh, or they were harassed uh, to the extent, them themselves or their families were harassed to the extent that they were uh, forced to leave Russia and the majority of the uh, kind of major candidates uh, that could have attracted a vote ended up uh, either in Ukraine or uh, in other countries, in Bulgaria, other countries. So uh, that was the main point at the running after the elections. And uh, that's why I I said that uh, you, Mm -hmm. I don't know why they called it the election, actually, (laughs) uh, because there is no choice.
0: Right. So, is it is it you know the image I have of of Putin himself is he's always been criticised as a uh, an authoritarian type figure, but my impression tell me if I'm wrong is that initially when he was first elected, um, it was actually. Even though it was upsetting to a lot of people, it was fairly democratic, and it's been uh, decades now, <laughs> maybe not decades, but at least, a, I guess, a couple of decades Um it was initially a, a somewhat fair election, and he was seen as a strong leader that could uh, uh, take the reins of the country and put it back on track because there was a lot of corruption. And the, the country was in shambles after the fall of the Communist Party. and And he kind of put things... I guess back in order again that might be mistaken but it it's my uh image of uh, how it went and as things progressed especially since he came back as uh the the president um after the the little hiatus with uh Medvedev in in the middle there when he since he came back there has been a, a real turn towards uh totalitarian regime type of of uh you know of leadership is that a fair assessment was it different before even though it was upsetting or has it always been more or less like this you're saying it's an unprecedented level of of you know election (laughs) invalidation but uh what do you think is it is it fair to, to say it like this or not
2: well i think it's absolutely fair i think that uh, he himself is still pretty popular i mean i i have never believed that he has a uh, popularity of like 86 percent, which was once uh, the case according to the official polls uh but uh, i think it's over 50 percent, and we can say it after absolutely safe i frankly think that it's still the case mm-hmm. uh, because for example During these elections, and it was for the first time uh, that the uh, Ukrainians Mm in Ukraine that were given Russian passports, uh, they were Mm -hmm. allowed to vote. They were able to vote for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. our Ukrainian, I work for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, and our Ukrainian service actually made a vox pop uh, in Donetsk um, in the central city of uh, the uh, Eastern Ukraine, Ukraine, the, which is now under the control of separatists. Uh, so they were able to make a vox pop. Of course, it's not a poll, of course, it's not representative, but everybody whom they asked, whom, whom did they vote for, Uh, replied that they voted for United Russia and one woman was saying, oh, I voted for Putin because uh, he is so stable, he's so stable and Mm. we really need stability. Uh, And I think that this image that he projected, that he brought stability, still plays. Maybe not in Moscow, uh, maybe not in St. Petersburg, uh, maybe not in major cities, but it does play in um, a large part of Russia. So... Why did they have to, uh, to, uh, you know, to make all this uh, uh, fraud and, uh, you know, getting uh, votes? And uh, we'll probably talk about it later. But why do they need to with the elections? I really don't know because they would have had majority in any case. Maybe not constitutional majority, but still a majority.
0: Mm. And it's it's interesting because that's exactly the question that comes to my mind. Why do they need, maybe, you know, at some point he's seeing that constitutionally, he's going to have to change the constitution to be allowed to stay in place longer at some point. And he's thinking, you know, I need, I don't know how much it is, but two thirds or four fifths or, or whatever it is. But, um, but really the image that I have is J. Ling Navalny, who was to my, uh, uh, in my uh, image, the, the last remaining credible opposition. And for those who don't know, I'm just going to mention what the Smart Voting app does. Um, th- the Smart Voting system is something really clever that Navalny put in place, which is it recommends for each person, uh, for each let's say district the one person who could have a chance to beat the Kremlin party's representative uh, no matter what party they're from and it encourages people who are unhappy with Putin's tenure to vote for whoever it doesn't matter which party um, that they would they would get a boost and from what I understand in the last election it did have a, a somewhat you know sense sensible effect and um, the the bot on telegram was was blocked as well and so it, it really seemed like there was a desire to stop it but as you're saying if there were no credible candidates uh anymore because of all the the election i don't know even know how to call it manipulation um it does beg the question, why does he need to do it? Because you're saying he would have gotten the majority anyway, probably. Uh, Of course, maybe not in in St. Petersburg and Moscow, but but, um, in general. I'm
2: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, uh, uh, you know, smart voting uh, system was good when you had a choice. Right. In previous elections, there was a choice. Right now, uh, frankly, I didn't vote because I didn't have a choice. And I'm not ready to uh, vote for communists uh, just in order not to let United Russia candidate uh, win this seat. Mm -hmm. Because the choice that we had was majority, either, either communists or United Russia. And none of this is acceptable for me. And I think that this is something that a lot of people faced as well um uh, that's why the uh, great idea that navalny had uh, of smart voting uh, didn't really play that well this this time
0: mm, because he was yeah as you're saying there wasn't a choice how do you think so it, then is it fair to to say that in the cities putin is somewhat controversial in the big cities, but overall in the country, people still trust him and, and are happy with his, because as we've been saying, he has gotten very totalitarian in the past few years. There's a, an increased control over, um, communication. This is mainly what I see through the internet. Um, but Do people still trust him overall in the, maybe it's a caricature to say it like that, but in the countryside, uh, they still trust him, they're happy with him as president?
2: It's difficult to say because, uh, of course, there is no independent, uh, uh, you know, polling system in Russia uh, Mm. left anymore. Uh, But mm, I would say that majority of people, according to the only pollster that we can trust is Levada Center, uh, I would say that people are um, more, you know, they, they, there is an apathy uh, yeah. in, in Russia. So it is what it is and let it continue as it is. Uh, it's not going to be much worse. So that's that's the general uh, mood. Uh, yeah. in, the, in the cities, it's, it's different. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's it's amazing that there were some uh, strikes in Russia in the recent years. Uh, the one that uh, comes to mind is the strike of uh, the uh, truck drivers uh, who were uh, disappointed with the new taxation on the roads uh, that uh, went directly into Putin's friend's pocket. Uh, that's that's it. That's, that's mm-hmm. pra- practically the only one that that I can remember right now. Even though people are less uh pleased with the uh, health system with the uh, education system uh but it doesn't bring the uprisal, it doesn't bring uh, you know any emotions
0: okay uh, so let say. me let me ask you this then um it, how bad is the situation now in russia because i mean this is a, a really slippery uh, uh road to go down but uh, my understanding is that the economy is not good and uh, the the communication infrastructure is in the control of the Kremlin. But how is the day-to-day situation for everyday people? Is it I don't know if we can reduce it to is it good or bad, but how would you describe it?
2: The most important thing is that the prices on uh, food, basic food, uh, are skyrocketing right now. They are higher every day. And uh, that's something that, that people started to notice and started to be concerned about, uh, because uh, when they cannot afford even carrot, uh, of course, um, yeah. then it's it's pretty pretty bad. Uh, so plus, uh, the the like the chicken pro- the prices on chicken meat went up, eggs, so. But, all the basic stuff that you buy every day, uh, plus the situation with uh, the COVID, is very bad. And uh, Russia, the day before yesterday, Russia once again had over twenty thousand uh, new cases, uh, which didn't happen since uh, spring. Uh, so, but even this doesn't, you know, doesn't move Russians to uh, to think, to protest, to to do whatever uh russians it looks like they just don't notice the pandemic uh mm. while people die of course only those who are relatives who are friends notice it but otherwise you know, they prefer not to notice it mm. it's
0: uh, right and you're you're shocked and frustrated by this it seems it's not like oh well you know whatever you, you seem you're describing it in a factual manner but this upsets you i'm i'm guessing
2: uh, absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. i don't i don't understand how uh, people can be so uh, you know arrogant to each other uh so disrespectful to elderly people uh, who suffer from uh, pa- pandemic the most uh, uh, so disrespectful to uh, to medical workers, uh, so it's hmm. it is frustrating. I have
0: to say, yes, you're right. Okay, all right, uh, Dan. Have you? Because I, I have to say, in France, we mostly, I think, don't talk about the the situation in Russia, which is a little bit surprising to me, because certainly. China is a concern, but Russia is a more immediate concern to to Europe. It's our, again our de- next door neighbor, but maybe that's the, the the Finnish resident in me speaking because that that is definitely a, a, a an immediate concern. But what about Mexico? Do you does it register the, the situation in Russia or or not really either?
1: Uh, similar to you, uh, the first uh, thing that came uh, to my mind uh, before realizing that the elections were coming there was the ban about the, the, the tech cap uh, right. that was uh, to help voters. And Well, because I had to report the news in a show that I am uh, working on. And after that, I was looking at, for example, the name of the parties, because this, at least for, for me here in Mexico, in, in a different continent, uh, I thought that perhaps that could um, bring me a better perspective And I was just looking at the results of the the election. Well, I believe that the final results will be uh, mentioned this Friday. But uh, use the names of the parties. Uh, The party who has the majority is United Russia. So actually the name is something that you can market very well. Then you have the Communist Party. No, that's the devil. The Communist Party, if you are in in the Western society, you know that's uh, really wrong. Then you have the Nationalist LDPR and Nationalist, okay, that doesn't sound all right. And then you have adjust Russia and new people. Okay, those sound like independent parties and actually sound like a, a, a good option. But when you look at the, at the number of votes that you got for United Russia, if you actually don't know who is in front of that party and the, the baggage, the, the history that that has, you, you can say that, oh, well, that looks like the, the people in there are, are voting for the best option. And I really love the, the perspective that uh, Irina is bringing to, to us Because things like uh, people voting from Ukraine, it's something that uh, didn't uh, cross my mind, but I believe that it's something that reflects an outsider perspective from somebody who is actually inside the party. Another thing that comes to mind is that um, some of the perspectives that I have been reading uh, from people in there have to do a lot with the the national pride. And for example, Putin is uh, representing a strong leader. He is standing up to the West and he's restoring, Mm. once again, National pride, so he's like the good guy from the independent uh, group that we have in that corner of the country. But in another part, in another perspective, I can compare that to um, different leaders. And I was reading just a a wonderful essay from uh, Nexus. It's a Mexican magazine, and it's actually an old, uh, an old uh, essay. And it mentions one one phrase that I want to quote. And it has to deal with the political power that it's uh, in this case uh, being maintained by Putin or by different leaders. They are talking in this essay about Fidel Castro. And mm-hmm. uh, it's when wellness and when richness comes from political power, losing this power is being poor because you don't know anything, you, you don't know how to, to, to do anything else. So that's why you have countries like Cuba, like Venezuela, like Nicaragua, who are defending the perspective that they have uh, about the socialism. But they are not caring about the people. They are, they are only caring about maintaining the power and maintaining the position and the, and the votes for, for these kind of people. So it's something that, uh, I don't know, it, it's really worrisome because when you have somebody who is maintaining the power for that long, yes, he, he as you mentioned, Patrick, he, Putin came as a good option. And uh, to be honest, there are different countries that if you have democratic, democratic elections, we wouldn't know what to do with that. And mm-hmm. I can include perhaps Mexico in there, we can uh, include... Egypt, we can include a lot of countries, that when you have democratic elections, uh, you can wait just a couple of uh, of years. And if you don't have a strong figure like Putin in this case, everything just crumbles. Everything just falls apart. I think that's one of the fears
0: that many countries have for Russia. It's that, it, let's say Putin, you know, disappears tomorrow, or let's say he dies because he's not so young anymore. At some point, he's going to go away. The, the fear is that there is no plan for what happens next and the country is not uh, uh, stable enough or in a situation where things would continue in a democratic, you know, safe, democratic manner. Is that, again, a fair assessment? Uh, because the, the, you know, the, the phantom of Latin American autocracies seems like a fairly accurate, you know, way of looking at it. What do you think, Irina? Is it like, if he goes away tomorrow, what happens?
2: Well, Patrick, that's the nature of every autocratic regime. Mm -hmm. Uh, They clear the political landscape to the extent that there is no successor. And that's what what they are standing on. Uh, People do not see alternative. Uh, The official Mm -hmm. propaganda portrays the... uh, any alternative in this particular as a chaos as instability as something that would be disruptive for the country something that would uh, in in case of russia of course so many regions that uh, uh, something that would tear russia apart uh, russian regions regions apart uh, that's the nature of this regime and regimes like putins everywhere uh that's their strength mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of public uh, public appeal. Uh, so yes, absolutely. The uh, even though uh, I would say that uh, taking Russian and Soviet history, uh, there has never been a leader uh, uh, as an outsider of the uh, power structures. Uh, the all the leaders even though who uh, those who brought reforms like Gorbachev for example or Yeltsin, they came from the same communist party uh, they were part of the regime they were part of nomenklatura uh, of the Soviet times that just turned to be reformers hmm. uh, so I don't exclude that something like this will happen within Putin's uh, uh, circle within uh, his friends for example
0: hmm, maybe uh, this is a uh, uh pretty heavy and i want to move on to to mexico but i also do want to mention i um, again this is my understanding and i might be mistaken but i think dismissing the communist party is a, a little bit too quick because i've heard that there are some russians that are you know not nostalgic of communist russia but at least think you know I don't know if things were more stable or maybe that's changed with Putin but is the Communist Party uh, incredibly for people who see it from here is the Communist Party a credible party or is it a, a, a you know a toy joke party in the in the country
2: No it is a credible party and it has uh, unlike United Russia for example it has uh, ideology uh, that is appealing to part of uh, the people and uh, like twenty-five percent, eighteen percent of Russians voted for uh, the party. Eighteen percent actually voted for the party in uh, the uh, previous mm. elections. So uh, yeah, it, it 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 is a, a party that still uh, still has popularity, and it uh, unlike, for example, uh, here in Czech Republic where I am, uh, where there is a like core communist old school, old time communists, and then a part of the party became more like social democrats rather than communists. Uh, Nothing like this happened with the Russian communist party. Uh, It uh, is what it uh, was. And uh, for me, for example, uh, you know, there was a, um, at the last day of the elections on the 19th, uh, there was a meeting of the uh, communist party who was, uh, uh, who was, uh, Uh, not pleased with the uh, results of the primarily online vote. Uh, So uh, there was a meeting and uh, one of the leaders was standing there and talking to the crowd. And I was just thinking that, uh, you know, this is this guy who actually voted for the uh, law that banned Americans to adopt Russian kids. Uh, and he was one of the organizers of this uh, law. He was uh, one of the guys who campaigned for this law. And he even wanted to enlarge this law and include not only Americans, but Westerners in general. And he is now standing there talking as the uh, one of the leaders of uh, the uh, opposition and the uh, guy who got uh, votes from smart voting system. And this is pretty sad, Uh, So, but that's my feeling.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Mexico. What's been happening in in Mexico, Dan?
1: All right. Um, I have a couple of uh, news. Uh, One, I believe it's positive. Another one, it's kind of, I don't know, funny. And the other one, it's um, perhaps something to to discuss a little bit more because it has something to to relate with the uh, national pride that I was mentioning before. Okay, so first, the the kind of positive, well, at least I think that uh, it's positive, is that um, during last week and this week, the the Supreme Court here in Mexico finally um, made official and decriminalized abortion in in the entire country. So uh, currently, if you have to have this kind of process, uh, there are only five states, well, uh, yeah, uh, four states, and uh, soon there will be five states here in Mexico where you can uh, have this kind of procedure. And uh, if you had this kind of procedure in in, uh, in another part of the country, well, it was a crime. So it, it finally passed as a law in here, and uh, obviously the the rest of the states will have discussions in their uh, separate uh, congress. But uh, uh, they are finally decriminalizing that, so I believe that's something positive. The the, the personal right, the reproductive right, is something that shouldn't be uh, taken uh, lightly. So uh, that's it's
0: interesting. Point. I I think the. The people in, in Texas will have something to, to say about that. Uh, sorry, just a second. Irina, could you, could you please mute yourself when you're not speaking? Because we're getting some feedback from your, your side. Thank you very much.
1: Go ahead, Dan. Okay, so that's something that I believe is positive. Uh, another thing is that, and this is actually something that just came, I believe, yesterday. The United K- uh, Kingdom wants to become part of North America. Hold hold your thoughts in there, because, uh, as you know, we have a a treaty, an agreement between Canada, the United States and Mexico for, well, uh, trading things. That's the the successor of the NAFTA treaty that we had before. And it was ratified with some uh, modifications by by, uh, Justin Trudeau, by Donald Trump and uh, by Lopez Obrador. And uh, because the United Kingdom is no longer part of Europe, they have been looking (laughs) to be part and, and making treaties with different parts of the of the world and one of those parts is the North America so it uh, seems like the United Kingdom is closer to be part of North America than being part of Europe so I <laughs> think they might be more comfortable
0: there anyway uh, possibly for some of them i'm going to get emails about this um is this like an actually a serious uh negotiation or is it something that's uh, i i don't see why it wouldn't be but um yeah.
1: It's actually serious, and uh, it makes sense because they have to pretty much establish uh, different treaties that they were part of when they were part of the European uh, community. So right now they have to do, instead of doing uh, agreements with every country, they are looking for uh, countries or parts of the world that already have regional treaties. So it's easier just to, to get, in this in this case, an agreement with the North America that fears uh, with the United States that, to be honest, that is what they want to do and then with canada and then with mexico so it actually makes sense and yes they have been uh, proper approaches to 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 do this kind of movements huh, interesting and i could see it happen something that has been a a, a long running story and uh, i believe that you have a trilogy of of show episodes uh, about the the brexit so i i recommend the listeners to <laughs> if they can checked them to listen to them it's a whole saga oh, yeah right. Exactly. And, and the final uh, point that I want to make, uh, this is not uh, exactly like news, news, like from this week, but the, uh, from this month. Uh, this is a month where we celebrate the independence of Mexico. And um, there, there has been a lot of um, studies and a lot of efforts to make, um, to reevaluate the kind of history that we have. Uh, sadly, um, these kind of efforts have been um, taking place more from a political point of view that from a historical and educational and, uh, point of view. And, uh, for example, uh, recently they took out, um, well, actually, last year, they took out one of the statues uh, from uh, here in Mexico City, from the city center, uh, that was honoring Columbus, who, well, we know that he has been a, a polemical figure, uh, and a lot of uh, people in this continent uh, doesn't like this figure because he rep- represents oppression and the colonialism and uh, these kind of uh, things that perhaps weren't uh, taking a positive effect for the people who was uh, at those times uh, taking all the, all the, all the fire from, from the invasion, as we can call it. But for example, I, I'm saying that this is taking a political point of view, because the current president, uh, when he first ran for, us, uh, for president uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, if he was elected back then, he would have been part of the celebration of the centennial of the Mexican Revolution and the bicentennial of the Mexican independence. And it's something that he hasn't uh, actually, um, let's say, uh, forget. And because of that, he used, invented a new date. And he, um, in this in, year, in 2021, uh, we have 500 years uh, commemorating the fall of Tenochtitlan, which is the moment when the Spanish conquer uh, this part of the world. So he has been rebranding this and he's saying that, oh, no, no, we were never conquered. We were actually, we are going to commemorate the, the, the indigenous people uh, offering a resistance to those invaders. So he's kind of flipping the, the historical events because he wants to have a big event to celebrate. And a lot of historians wa- were like, OK, uh, just hold on. Because we actually don't have a, a proper date to, let's say, to celebrate or to commemorate this. And colonization is something that happened. Uh, I don't know why you want to change the perspective of this. Uh, it's like, I don't know, the, the Spaniards were To put commemor- a
0: positive twist on it?
1: Yeah, but it, it's a fake twist. It's something like, uh, I, I, I am going to blame the past for everything that has happened right now. And of course... It has something to do, but it's like blaming that. Okay, I am poor because the, the Spaniards came here to Mexico and conquered us. And it's like, okay, that happened uh, 500 years ago. So what happened to you right now? It, it has more to do with what with your decisions and what you are doing, than with something that happened centuries ago. But it's something that has been taking place, and uh, for um, different kind of parties in this in this uh, like the ruling party at the moment. It's something that uh, has been um, more present. Let, let's reevaluate. Let's uh, make th- um, the, the the pre-Hispanic figures that we have in here more important than the Hispanic figures that came later. And is just uh, reevaluating, as my, as I mentioned, uh, Christopher Columbus, Hernan Cortes. Those are like the devil right now. Instead of trying to understand the 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 part that they played uh, back uh, at the time that they were. Uh, taking decisions, and they are just like evil figures. So for me, it's something that doesn't actually... I I mean, I understand what they are doing this, and I am always trying to look for different perspectives, and it's always welcome to bring different perspectives to understand what happened. And they have one point in their favor. For example, when uh, Tenochtitlan, the capital city of uh, the pre-Hispanic cultures back then, felt it was used with a couple of hundred uh, Spanish soldiers and thousands and thousands of people from the rest of the areas that were oppressed by the, the Aztecs back, back then. So one point in their favor is, yeah, a lot of uh, communities from, from around the Aztec, the Aztec empire actually fought, and they are the ones who won. Yes, but we're right now speaking Spanish. We're not speaking now. What <laughs> We're not speaking Indian. So so, but, so, uh, so what would you
0: suggest to, like... What, to, to celebrate
1: the colonization? I'm not sure. No, 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 no. It's understanding better. It took place. It, it actually is a part of our history. And now uh, we are a mix of cultures. We're a, a mix of races. And uh, for example, denying the, what happened uh, with the colonization and say that, uh, oh, we are just a part of the indigenous mm. communities there, It's something that I believe it's, it's just uh, short-sighted in there. And I mentioned this right. because when they took out the, the statue of uh, Columbus, they were planning to put uh, the statue of Clali. Who is Clali? Nobody knows. It's just uh, a female, uh, native Mexican figure that they invented. And it was like, okay, hold on. We have already a lot of wonderful people from indigenous communities. We have a lot of strong women. Why don't we honor a historic figure that actually makes sense instead of just uh, uh, making a fantasy and uh, perhaps uh, thinking that we could be as uh, progressive if the Spaniards didn't come? As I don't know to uh, mm. put it in, in Marvel comics or Marvel uh, Pictures terms, uh, we 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 could be like Teotihuacanda instead of just like Mexico uh, with some of national Aztec futurism. It's something that I believe it's worth <laughs> sight.
0: Mm. I see that's interesting because there's I mean it might seem like a, an overreaction, but it seems like I do not I don't I don't want to say necessary one. I I I'm not part of that issue, so I don't really have a uh like to stand on in judging it, but I can understand that maybe you can go back to a, a more balanced view at some point, but the rejection of a certain worldview kind of has to go through the violent um or semi, you know, violent intellectually rejection before you can get more uh, uh you know go back to the to the middle, go back to the center. But I see what you mean. It's a difficult problem, I think. That Even if I can add this. I think the bigger issue is that if you start saying, oh, wait, you know, this is, it happened and we're a mix of, of cultures, then it can be kind of co-opted by people who will say, who will then say... See, why, do you, why are you making problems, everything's fine, and the, the colonial powers kind of brought good things as well. So you, you see what I'm, what I'm getting uh, at?
1: And I agree. And for example, uh, just one brief comment, perhaps to, to bring a little uh, bit more of con- uh, context. At the beginning of the previous century, of the 20th century, uh, we as Mexicans didn't have a proper identity. And after the Mexican Revolution, uh, a lot of uh, people in, in, in power, and not just in political power, but part of the the cultural uh, crews like uh, painters and writers, uh, were really hard to establish the identity that we didn't have. Because we have two things. Uh, we have the, the, the identity from the colonial periods, and it was the adaptation that we have from a different culture, Spain in this particular case. Mm. And before that... Of the pre Hispanic culture. So, but that was like really far, far, far away and didn't represent the future. It was like a really something that is nice to think about it, but it's not something that can help us to move forward. So, what they made at that time is like we have to represent mestizaje. We got, we have to represent that we're a mix of cultures and that we're in, in a continuous flux and we have to incorporate all the elements of the culture because all those elements are actually supporting us and all those elements are part of who we are. Which is something that I really uh, dig, is something that I really believe and they painted like a lot of murals and that that's uh, th- the best way that they found at that time to promote the cultural identity for Mexicans and in those murals you had the the heroes of the country like the from the independence period of, of them or the Mexican Revolution and then you have obviously the the, the prehispanic elements in there and you have the, the indigenous so uh, cultures re- represented in there. Because after all, we are a mix of that. And yes, I I agree that we have to take more into account with the the people who um, uh, who hasn't been part of the conversation, like the indigenous communities at the Southeast, they are really far, and they feel like they are more part of uh, Guatemala, or they are more part of Belize. Uh, they they feel more like a different country, like part of Mexico. And, and there is a reason for that. So we are all, all in, in in this together, and we have to contemplate this. So yes, we are pr- uh, we have pride, and we're proud of, of having this kind of past. But I don't believe that we have the right to just the, the, yeah, yeah. erase part or past. We have to evaluate. I completely agree. But uh, uh, not just erase something that is not comfortable for the current political discourse. Yeah, it's, it's certainly
0: a debate that's happening, I think, in most countries, and I think it might offer me a bridge to talk about something that's been happening in France as well, which is the reaction to some of those discussions. Which I think those discussions are obviously difficult, and and finding the right tone and balance is not easy. But it also feels like it does bring up uh, or prop up, you know, far-right ideologies. And and in France, we've had a couple of things that I want to talk about. The, the first one might go quickly because it's the, the rise of a TV personality, a pundit, a political pundit, who is very much who has kind of he was always a, a fairly conservative person but in the past few years he's been sliding towards far right very much far right um and he was actually um we have an authority here in france which kind of regulates uh political speech um in times of Campaigning, uh, the we have the presidential election in May next year, and for the few months that precede that, that authority can say you need to have equal time um, for different parties for the parties that qualify. It's a number of different parties, equal uh, airtime for those parties and that allows of course the um the, if you didn't do that then only the t- two or three main parties would occupy you know the 90% of the airtime and that would make for a, a problematic um sharing of ideas and and it would reduce the chances of smaller parties to actually be heard and and challenge the 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 incumbents which I think when I say this, Irina is, you know, <laughs> might think, well, yes, that seems very nice. And we are not even at step, you know, point one of that, uh, you know, system.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I'm sure people from the U.S. who hear this are like, oh, wait, what? You have a government administration that says what can be said about uh, elections? This is a oh, gov- big government is getting its nose into the the media and telling us what we can and can't say. And of course, the reality is that if you don't do this, if you don't have that kind of regulation, then you get into incumbents dominating everything but not that they don't you know in France you have usually a couple of big parties but there are some upsets and at least you hear the other ideas um, so anyway th- that authority um, made kind of a judgment call that this person um, was getting so influenced so influent that he was essentially Uh, counting as a party. And that person is probably going to announce that they're running for president in the next few days or weeks. It seems very likely that it is going to happen. It's kind of an open secret or that's everyone's assumption and he's kind of playing coy about it, but it seems he will. Um, And I don't know exactly what will happen for the election because he's certainly eating into the kind of traditional far-right party's voter base, um they they it would seem that they would split it and that it might be problematic for them. Um, I don't think he would go as far as the you know runoff the, the second turn of the election. Um but this is certainly something that has been unexpected. It's kind of, it's not quite trump-ish because when you hear oh tv personality and and uh, far right oh is that the trump dude it's absolutely not he's an actual like serious pundit who who plays on the themes of the far right in a fairly outrageous way he says provocative stuff but he's still a political figure and he's a serious person like he's not a clown like like Trump uh, was. And he doesn't gesticulate and insult people. And that's not the kind of person he is. He's just more of a standard far right party person who used to be a pundit in a very, very popular uh, cable TV show about discussing politics. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that deal. About the French submarines for, that were going to be sold to uh, Australia that fell through kind of without warning, because all of a sudden Australia decided it, it I don't know if the deal was signed or if it was like in the last uh, the last stages of being signed.. <clears throat> Apologies, um, but but the French government is extremely upset. It's nuclear submarines that were supposed to be sold to Australia. I don't know why they need them, but they want them, and they announced a week ago maybe that they're going to buy them from uh, I think the U.S. Bottom line, not from France, and France is super angry. They recalled the ambassadors and all of that. Like it's it's very serious. And the the representatives of the European Union even are making a big deal out of it. It's a, a huge thing, and that's been taking a lot of you know uh, uh, headline space in the news. I wonder if you've if you've heard about this because for us it's like it's probably been the main news topic for the past week or two. Have you heard about this deal going awry for the nuclear submarines?
2: Uh, yeah, of course they. Uh the funny thing is that the morning when it uh, uh, became news, uh, the morning of when I woke up and uh, uh, read, I think it was BBC uh, article on the on the deal, and uh, that uh, uh, Australia is uh, uh, really concerned about growing power of uh, China, of course, uh, in the region, and uh, that's why the uh the whole deal is set uh the second article that i ran into uh was the china news saying that france is absolutely furious about the deal and that's Mm. how i learned about france's reaction nobody else wrote about it that morning (laughs) at least in (laughs) (laughs) english so
0: I can see how China would, would, uh, given that it's going to be, I think, American submarines, China would be, oh, France is unhappy and there's a big problem there and trying to prop up that uh, problematic aspect of it. And yeah, obviously, now that you say it, I can see how um, Australia would want to, you know, protect itself for the next couple of decades. Dan, is it something that's discussed in, in
1: Latin America or not at all? Uh, not really but I I heard about the news and it makes a lot of sense because uh, one of the uh, as Serena mentioned one of the main um problems that they are trying to well I, I don't I don't know if it's a problem but one of the main issues that they are trying to prevent it's a, a conflict with China because um and I was reading that the, the the kind of um conflicts that there can be in there are similar to like the one that are between China and Taiwan so it's something mm-hmm. serious uh, when you think about it uh in in the funny side, well, uh, funny for, for me that I am not in Australia in there, is that uh, we know that uh, we have the cliche that everything is trying to kill you in Australia. You you go to the street and you will find giant spiders. So imagine a nuclear submarine with this kind of uh, animals and insects that you have in there. Well, that's like something from a Japanese uh, kaiju uh, movie. <laughs> they, they will have feather uh, defenses.
0: Yeah, uh, that that would definitely be a concern. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. So people have heard about it at least a little bit. Um, I would have thought that this was kind of a French thing where French, you know, officials would make a lot of noise to... I- obviously they must be upset but i would guess that they also want to make another noise to show that they're not laying down and you know letting it go um but yeah i wonder it seems like from my point of view it seems futile a little bit to to uh not to protest, because obviously you have to say something, but I don't know what's going to change. Like, it's not like all of a sudden Australia is going to say, oh, right, sorry, our bad. Um, Let's, okay, we're not going to buy them from the US. Let's just resume the talks with France. But that being said, um, there was a a big deal made of the fact that uh, Macron, the french president is going to be talking with biden maybe it already happened um about this issue and that you know we're very upset and i'm sure we're not going to all of a sudden start selling submarines to australia again but maybe we can get something out of it like as a, a, a in exchange for that slight we can get something else in in another area of you know economy economy or whatever i don't know maybe that's the goal the ultimate goal there so yeah i think that is about it hey we managed to make a, an entire episode almost without talking about uh, about covid it's it oh, <laughs> well Irina mentioned it in in russia earlier but i have to say okay i will mention it and that's what we'll will end on for uh, the episode it, it's not that it's gone away, um, but it certainly feels like less of a pressing immediate panic concern than it did even last month. And maybe that's just people getting used to it, but um, it, it feels less like a, a huge concern. H- how's it going in the Czech Republic with, with COVID? Is it still everyone, you know, worrying about everything?
2: Uh, no, not really. Uh, it is a little bit worrisome that uh, the numbers of new infections uh, are now growing, as in many other countries in the world. Uh, of course, it's autumn. Uh, yeah. By the way, today is the first calendar day of autumn. Uh, but the uh, Czech Republic, you know, it was very, very bad uh, uh, last, uh, in spring. Uh, And last winter, uh, it was just really horrible. But right now, over 70% of the um, eligible population is vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So the numbers are not that uh, big for the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the number of people in the hospitals uh, is not growing. So that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, here it's like business as usual. Uh, We returned back to working from the office uh, uh, after homework, so uh, restaurants are open, uh, all shops are fully open, museums, everything, concerts, everything, everything is uh, kind of normal right now.
0: Yeah, it's almost the same here in Finland. I, I'm not sure about France. There are it's returning to normal in several regions. where we're getting um
1: here, I don't know if Patrick it's here um he's recording.
0: Yes, I oh, it there's an issue with the internet. I can still hear both of you. Interesting. <laughs> All right, we're back. Uh it was so weird. I could hear both of you and you couldn't hear me. It was very strange. But we're back. And what I was saying was that in France, it's um it seems like things are are going back to normal. Some regions are getting rid of the, you know, the health pass thing that you need to show in public places. Um so it, in in it's definitely, I mean, it certainly seems like Guess what? Vaccines are having an effect uh, because we're in the middle of flu season and certainly it might get a little bit bad again. And it's certainly not, you know, perfect. Not at all. But um, it's it's getting it's more manageable. And we have, I think, 70, 75 percent of the population that got at least one dose and something like between 50 and 60 percent that have two doses um, in France and in Finland. What, what about you, Dan, in, in Mexico? Is it a concern?
1: still a concern. Uh, we have been improving in, in that aspect. Uh, official numbers is like pretty much about 33% of the population has already got uh, one dose, which seems kind of low, but it's because we are also counting uh, minors. We're counting people under 18. So for people uh, who is 19 or older, we are about 77, 78% of the population has already got uh, at least one dose of vaccine. I luckily got my my second dose two two weeks ago, so that uh, that kind of reflects how, how they are moving. And uh, I, I'm not a fan of this government, but I can say that they are doing a, a good job with the, with the, the vaccination. And perhaps just one final note about that is that uh, concerts, as Irina mentioned, uh, they are coming back. Major events like races, but I don't trust to be running in a marathon again, at least for <laughs> the, the rest of the year. But they are uh, putting some, some conditions, and this is really good. You have to present, for example, uh, a certification that you have at least one dose uh, of uh, vaccination, and then you have to present a COVID test that uh, shows that you, you, you are not an active case in, 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 mm. with COVID. So uh, those are some prevention measures that uh, should be taken at least for another year, I believe. Yeah. Well, you know, last episode
0: we were kind of panicking about covid as well and here it seems like we're having a little bit of a reprieve so let's hope it lasts all right thank you very much to both of you um i think that's going to be it for this episode before we leave of course as usual i'd like to give you an opportunity an opportunity to let us know where we can find you um on the internet irina where can people go if they want more from you It's
2: Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. It's rfrl.org website. Or if uh, you speak Russian, it's svoboda.org. Svoboda. Uh, That's Liberty in Russian.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. I'll include the link to the Twitter account in the show notes. Dan, what about you?
1: Uh, well, I'm uh, currently working more in the technology field, and if you want to delve more into um, uh, cybercrime and stuff like that, uh, well, I collaborate with Tom Merritt with uh, Noticias de Tecnología Express, which is a uh, uh, daily tech headlines, uh, but in Spanish, where you will get uh, once a week uh, most of the the, the most relevant inf- information about tech, and also uh, we made a couple of audio commentaries, as I like to call them. One focus in the project Pegasus and how it uh, grew to the monster that it is uh, currently. That um, that special report. It's available in English and Spanish, and I will uh, send you the links if you can help me with uh, with that, Patrick. If yes, no problem.
0: With pleasure. Yes, and I saw you were working with Tom. I was very happy to to see that. Um, all right thank you both for me it's not patrick on twitter facebook and instagram i am uh, also at notpatrick.com if you want to check out my other shows the the links to all of your podcasting app will be available there for le rendezvous tech which is the french tech news show that i do every week and other things so uh thank you very much for listening and Thank the patrons as well for making the show possible at patreon.com slash the Club. If uh, you are already a patron, please know that I, you have my undying eternal love. And if you are not already a patron, then uh, maybe consider becoming one. Again, patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, I think we did a show in under an hour. I have to go get my son from daycare, which might have been a contributing factor, but that might be a first in the history of the Phileas Club. So thank you both for making this possible. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.